Father, Father, as we sing these praise songs, hallelujah, praise the Lord, we are so grateful to belong to you. We're grateful for the privilege and opportunity of being given this responsibility this morning to sing your praises, to declare and announce again who you are and, and just what you've done for us. As we rejoice in that, as we focus on your word now, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And so we pray that you would meet with us in a very clear way today and help us not to miss, again, what you have for each of us and what you have for all of us as a group. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, all around the world, millions upon millions of people will gather around television sets in living rooms and rec rooms and all over the place, restaurants, everything you can imagine. There'll be people all over the place meeting to watch a series of new, fresh, creative commercials. And uh, sprinkled in the little breaks in between all these new commercials everybody's so excited about, there'll be a little football game they're playing. Uh, to decide the National Football League Championship, and this is a little game called the Super Bowl. And uh, if that's a surprise to you, then you haven't heard much of what's been going on in the news over the last couple of weeks as they've been talking about this. The Super Bowl is a big deal to sports fans. And it is also a big deal to others because of these commercials and the, the event. It has taken on a life of its own as a cultural event and experience and so so many people are focused on this there are a lot of hype a lot of promo a lot of advertisements about it uh, posters radio ads tv ads all over the internet people talking about the super bowl they're focused on this game interestingly there was a game played by professional football players Last Sunday afternoon, a game which most people just discount and ignore, it is often poorly attended, uh, the TV ratings are not great, and that's the, the NFL All-Star game known as the Pro Bowl. And this is a game where they take, uh, they take people from all over the league, the best players at each position, they're voted on and nominated and selected, and they, they build a team from each conference, each of the two conferences, of the best players at each position. They put together this fantastic all-star team of the best possible players. And when they show up for these teams, these players come and, and they, they put on a jersey. They put on this jersey that it, maybe it's blue for the National Football Conference or red for the American Football Conference, whatever it is. But they put on their jersey and they come out as a team to play a game, but they don't really look like a team. And they often don't function like a team. And the reason is because even they, though they have similar jerseys on and matching jerseys that say, today I'm on this team, they all are wearing different helmets. They're wearing the helmets from the team for which they really play. And so even though their jerseys match, their helmets are different. There's all these different logos on them. And you can find your guy from your team by looking just at the helmet. Something else happens at that game. 
They wear the helmets of the team that they really play for, the people that pay them the big contracts. And so when they come to the All-Star Game, the Pro Bowl, they often don't play quite the same as they do on a normal Sunday afternoon. They don't hit quite as hard. They don't play quite as aggressively. They don't just stretch that one last little bit of effort because they don't want to get hurt and mess up the big contract with the team that they really belong to. This is just a made-up team for the day. Hmm. If we are not careful as followers of Jesus, that's the way we can sometimes function as a church family and and within the church. Here's how that looks. We come to church and we have our jersey on that says Christ. But we're wearing a helmet that says ethnic culture. Or we're wearing a jersey today that says kingdom of God. But we're wearing a helmet that says music style. We put on our jersey on our way into the building that says church. But our helmet has a logo with our age group stamped on it. We have the jersey that says Jesus, but the logo on our helmet says opinion and preference. And we say, this is the team I really play for. This is just the team I'm with today. So after we finish this little event this morning, I'm going to take off my jersey and I'm going to go back to my real team and I'll run hard with those guys, but I'm not going to over, you know, overextend myself here because this isn't really the team that I'm connected to. So I ask us this morning, what team are you on? What team am I on as we gather here today? We're finishing this series next week. We're winding this series down that we've called, Who Am I? And we're looking at where we get our identity from. Where does this come from? What what is just burning inside of us that says, this is who I am and where I belong? We started by saying that we are all God's creation. We saw that from Scripture. We are all God's creation. And so we all have value. We all matter. We're all God's creation. We then saw that that some of us are God's children. Those who will trust in Jesus, receive Him, believe who He is and what He came to do. That He alone, God's Son, is the only way to be made right with God and brought into a relationship with God, allowing us to be called God's child. But I want to take that a next step this morning and say this, if you are in fact God's child, it means that you are one of God's children. And you might look at me and go, "Um, duh, you just said that. But I want you to think about the difference for just a moment. If you are God's child, it means you are one of God's children. And there is a distinction to be made. There's something we need to notice here. Because in our part of the world, for several generations, we have over-individualized our faith. Over-individualized what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
Now, we come to Jesus, we come to God through Jesus to be forgiven of sin, to be granted life, and to be called his child. We come to him one heart at a time. That's the way that works. But once we do, as soon as we become God's child, I now look around the room that I've just entered and say, but I am just one of his children. This is not about me. This is something bigger than me. This is not about you. This is something bigger than you. There's something much larger going on. As we look through Scripture beginning to end, we see that throughout human history, God is working for a people for His name. That's what He's building. A people for His name. Not a bunch of people for my name. Not a group of people for my name. But a people for for my name a unified distinct group joined together as my people that's what's going on and so this morning as we come to this passage of scripture that we're going to consider i want us to be asking who am i which team am i on and as a result the next question that needs to follow is As a result of which team I'm on, I need to step back from the mirror now. I need to look around the room and ask this question. What do I see? What do I see when I look at the other people in church today? Who are they in relation to who am I? To consider this, we want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. I invite you to join me in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 11, right? Where Mike left off reading verses 1 to 10, and we're going to pick up building on that. Verses 11 to 22. In this section of this letter, Paul begins with who we were, And so verse 11 says this, Therefore, and we stop already. Therefore. This is one of those key words in Scripture that you're looking for as you read along. Therefore means this is linked to, resulting from, and inseparable from what just came. So he's saying, don't forget the passage that Mike read for us earlier. The first half of this chapter. Don't forget the truth that's in there. Therefore, based on all of this, this is not about us. We do not earn our position as God's children. He's about to tell us the situation we used to be in, in which we used to find ourselves. And he's already told us in chapter 2 back at the beginning, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's saying, don't forget where you've come from don't forget what we were it's critical that we understand that he's not saying look back and remember the good old days 
He's saying, look back and remember how desperate you were. The situation in which you found yourself. And as he walks through and reminds us of chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and he reminds us of the, the desperate state we were in and what God did for us through Christ, because of his mercy and grace, to make it possible for us to be forgiven, to be called his child and therefore his children, he ends with this concept of we. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because we have over-individualized our, our approach to what it means to follow Jesus, what we often think is, well, that means that God's got a list of specific individual things for me to do, and I'm going to go do them. And everybody else in the room, well, they're going to go out and do the individual things God has for them to do, and they'll go get their thing done, and I'll get my thing done, and maybe we'll brush shoulders again next Sunday, and then we'll head out and we'll do it all again, all the individual things God has for us to do. There are specific opportunities that God has created for you. Specific roles and, and things for you to do because God has gifted and equipped you just that way for that purpose. He's placed you in that setting for that reason. And that is true and that's fantastic. But there is also some things that God has lined up for us to do that we can only do together as we walk together in love and in unity and service to one another and service with one another. And we can't miss that part of that. That He has called us to be not just His child, but one of His children together as part of His family. So, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Well, that, that's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? What's he talking about here? He's talking about Jews versus Gentiles. Paul himself is a Jew. He was, he was a, a Pharisee. Paul, Paul is a Jew. He is writing to Gentile believers in Ephesus, who is currently Turkey. So we have these Turkish Gentiles who have come to Christ in Ephesus and they are now meeting together as a church and they're functioning as a church, they're living as a church. And Paul, this Jewish missionary, is writing back to them. And he's talking about the difference here between Jews and Gentiles. And he says, now remember you Gentiles, you, you, you guys there in Turkey, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. He, he's talking about the, the difference between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews saw circumcision not just as a, as a, a, a unifying uh, bond between them, an identifier between them as set apart as the, the, the called people of God, the, the Jews, and we're, we're unique. But that also meant the others weren't. And so it wasn't just look at who we are and what God's called us to be and to do. It was like, ha, look at who they are and what they have not received. And so they looked down on the Gentiles and they would refer to them as the uncircumcision, the uncircumcised. And it was another point of division between the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, back in 1 Samuel 17, 
you have Goliath. Remember him? This big, monstrous Philistine. And here he is in his armor, and he comes out in the valley between the two armies, and he's mocking God, and he's mocking the armies of Israel. And King Saul, the king that the people, in their collective wisdom, demanded of God, we need a king. We need a king who's going to be our champion. We need a king who's going to lead us out to war and fight our battles like all the other kings. Yeah, their grand champion, King Saul, is wetting himself back in his tent with his knees knocking, hiding, while Goliath's out there mocking them and challenging them for some hero to come and find them. Where are all the other mighty men of Israel? They're behind him, peeking out from under their tents too. Enter the teenage shepherd boy, David, who comes in to visit his brothers, these soldiers, and he sees this huge giant down there screaming against God and against God's people, defying them and challenging them. And what are David's words? David looks at him, not with, with, with desperate fear, but with disgust. He looks at him and says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he's going to stand and defy God and the armies of the living God. I'm going to go find me some stones. Like, everybody else is, is hiding, but that's how he referred to him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's the way the Jews looked at the Gentiles, these people that were outside of the people of God. So it was a point of pride for them and a point of separation for others. Now he says, um, he calls them the uns, uh, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. That's the ESV translation. The, the translation there of that phrase, that which is done by hands, it's an Old Testament phrase that is often used in referring to constructing idols. Think about that. He's pointing us, Paul is pointing out that this, is, this circumcision is useless now that Christ is here. So he's saying, hey Jews that are reading this, don't make that an idol and a point of contention that you're better than somebody else because that's got nothing to do with it. And he's saying, you Gentiles, you don't have to come become Jews now. That's not what this is about because that is not the issue. The issue is Christ. The issue is Christ. Hmm. So here's what he says. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. And that, that word commonwealth there as it's rendered here it would probably be better community. It's not focused so much on a political entity as it is being identified as the people of God, the people who have received the promises of God. All right? So we were separated from Christ, alienated from God's people and the promises of God, having no hope and without God in the world. That is what we were. That was our state before God. Totally, 100% desperate. All of us and each of us. That's who we were. 
So what changed? What changed? Well, in a word, everything. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is an important hinge verse where everything changes direction. In that first section, you were dead in trespasses and sins, chapter 2, verse 1. And then in verse 4, but God stepped in and changed things. Here, verses 11 and 12, look at the mess you were in, how desperate you were. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off, far from God, separated from Him. We are now, through the blood of Christ, brought near to God. Brought close to God. And as you read through Ephesians, there are things that pop up that make you consider the fact that Paul has the book of Isaiah running through his head as he's writing some of this this letter. And so many things link back up to the book of Isaiah. And here, this verse, we think of Isaiah 57, Isaiah 56, talking about those who are far will be brought near. It's in that context that he's talking about the temple and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for whom? All nations. Those who are far are to be brought near. That they can come and meet with me worship me and walk with me and it all happens we who are far off have been brought near by what the blood of christ not by our personal achievements and good works not by some heroic crusader that somehow stormed the doors of the temple we who were far away have been brought near now by the blood of christ For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He is our peace. We didn't negotiate this with each other as Jews and Gentiles. Okay, let's come to some kind of agreement. Let's reach a settlement. No. He is our peace. He is the one that did this. He is our peace with God. We will never be at peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. It's impossible. He made peace through, the blood of, through His blood shed on the cross. So He is our peace with God, and therefore, He is our peace with each other. We are at peace with God, now brought together as His children, and He is our peace with one another. He made the two, Jew and Gentile, one. One kingdom, one body of Christ, one family. And He did that by tearing down this wall, this dividing wall of hostility. Now, our own missionary, Paul, uh, spoke last Sunday. And he talked about the dividing wall between God and men in the temple, right? And that curtain that was torn when Jesus died and how, how that barrier between God and men was gone. Well, this is a different barrier now that he's talking about. Paul talked about that barrier between God and men. He's now talking about that barrier between men and men between us, between Jew and Gentile. He's talking about the the courts of the temple where you would have the walls of the temple grounds and then inside there you would have the outer courts, the courts of the Gentiles where they were allowed to come. But then you had the inner courts. You walked into the next step and now that's where the Jews would go. 
And they, the, the Gentiles were not allowed in there. They were separated by this dividing wall, as Paul calls it here, this dividing wall of hostility. They were kept at a distance. They were kept far off. They were kept outside. In fact, this is the area where when we see Jesus come after the triumphal entry at at Palm Sunday, we see Jesus come into the city and he goes to the temple and he sees that is the area, the courts of the Gentiles, that is full of people selling uh, sacrifices, they're trading for the temple currency and making a a killing on this and they're, they're ripping people off and it's crowded, this whole place is crowded with commerce, people using worship for their own personal gain and who's left out? There's no room now for the Gentiles, they're all out looking in, they've been kicked out even further. And Jesus comes through and he kicks over the tables and he uses a whip and chases out these people who are in there using worship for their own purposes, saying, God says his house is to be a house of prayer for whom? All nations. Why would he say that? Because they're taking the place that was reserved for the Gentiles and they're not letting them in. They're kicking them further out. That's that dividing wall of hostility Paul in Acts chapter 21 is accused of taking a Gentile with him inside the inner courts. And people people just lose it. Paul, you took a Gentile in there. That was the accusation made against him. You see, that dividing wall is done now. It's gone. There is nothing now to separate Jew and Gentile. And it's not that he's just saying, well, okay, now you guys can be nice to each other and get along. He's saying, I've taken the two and I've made one. Pick up in verse 15. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. He's made one new man at peace with God and at peace with each other. We are both reconciled to God. How? Through Christ. Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter. You're only reconciled to God through Christ. We are both at peace with God. How? Through Christ. We are both have access to God now through Christ. So when I come to God through Christ, I become his child. But look around. I'm not alone. I have now become one of his children, one of his family, together with the others. No matter what our background or history, because of the cross, we are together, united in Christ. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that good news? So look at who we are. Verse 19 says, So then, as a result of all of this, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, or in the Spirit. Fellow citizens now, in God's kingdom. 
fellow citizens in God's kingdom with the saints. Now when he says with the saints, he's not talking about statues and cathedrals. Saints are what? Sanctified ones. Set apart ones. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is referred to in Scripture as a saint. That's the way it is. That's not reserved for a special few. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint this morning. Now, don't go putting a sign on your house and, you know, you know, start making your own little your own little church or your own little shrine there or anything. But do you see what I'm saying? We are now fellow citizens in the kingdom of God with the saints, with each other, the followers of Jesus all down through the generations. We're now fellow citizens with them. Not only that, we're members of the household of God, we're part of His family. And as part of His family, we're close with each other. We love each other. We're in this together. As Ephesians 1.5 says, as we saw a couple weeks ago, we have all been now, as, as members of, in Christ, we have all been adopted by God into His family. So when we look around, it isn't like, well, I was born here, but you were kind of welcomed in later. No. What happens? We are all adopted children of God. We are all brought from far and near and brought in in Christ into the family. And we are all His adopted children joined together to walk with Him and worship Him and serve Him together. And to do so in unity. In unity. But if we're not careful, some of these things, we talked about those different logos on our helmets when we come into church, put our church shirt on, but we've got our helmets on. If we're not careful, some of those other things can still get in the way and keep us apart. If we're not paying attention, if we're not on top of things. The Iron Curtain has been gone for close to 30 years now. But things haven't changed for everybody because the Iron Curtain came down. For years, the Iron Curtain, and in this one instance, this place, it was actually a fence, separated two populations of red deer living in the forests encompassing the border between Germany and what is now the Czech Republic. The fence went right through the forest. These two populations of red deer separated by this fence. When government officials began in 1989 to rip down the fence, they noticed a few things happening. They removed the physical barrier between these two populations, but wildlife biologists noticed something strange. And they tracked it for years, and in 2002, they actually started doing a study. And when they started doing this study in 2002, these biologists confirmed very quickly that these two herds had never mingled. They had stayed separate. That the, that the deer living in Germany stayed in Germany, and the deer living in the Czech Republic stayed in the Czech Republic. The fence was gone, but they, didn't, they, they never intermingled. They never crossed the border back and forth. One deer in particular, they, they took and they, they, they you know, tranquilized her and they put a, a collar on with a GPS uh, gadget on it and they tracked her movements for a couple of years. 11,000 times they recorded her location. And they tracked her carefully. 
She went all over, back and forth in Germany. Never once did she step foot in the Czech Republic. A few times she got close, and she was right within range of where that fence had been, and then she just backed away and moved on. And she never once went over into the other place. And they asked one of these wildlife these biologists, one of these wildlife filmmakers, what he thought. He said, why was that? And he said, well, take a look at two things. First of all, she was born, that deer was born after that fence came down. She has no physical memory of a barrier being there. Secondly, after that fence came down, that forest that encompassed both sides of that, that fence was set up as a nature preserve. It's like a haven for wildlife. It is fantastic. It's everything they need, but they're staying away from it. And he, he put it this way. He said, the wall and the forest came down, but the wall in her head is still there. She just watched everybody else, and the generations before her came so far and no farther. We, we, don't, we don't deal with them. The fence is gone, but it might as well still be there. Wow. Friends, we cannot do that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot remain divided, refusing to connect with others because they, they, they are a little different than me. If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, if I am a child of God, I am one of His children, and we must function in unity together as a church family. The foundation of all of this is Christ and the apostles' teaching, the gospel and the word of God. It is not a shared background. It is not a common taste in music. It is not common interests, shared preferences or opinions. It's Christ. And he says here in verse 21, he's taken all of us who are so different. He brought us together. We've been joined together. We're growing together. We're being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. So the question is, who am I? Well, if I'm a child of God, what team am I on and who are we? Am I His creation? Yes. Am I His child? Well, if I've responded to Christ, surrendered my life to Jesus, then yes, I'm His child. And if so, I'm one of His children, so how is the family looking today? What do I see when I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ as I step into church this morning? What do I see? You see, they're not just part of a crowd that came for the same show. They're not all exactly like you or like me. But we're all here because of Jesus. We're all here because of Jesus. We were outcasts. Verse 12, we were separated from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise, had no hope without God in the world. That's what we were. Do you know what that means? That means when I look at my brothers and sisters, I say, you were what I was. And I was what you were. But then we look at verse 13 and say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ and I say, you are now what I am. I am now what you are. Someone who is far off who has been brought near. Someone who is excluded who has been adopted into the family. And we're all in this now together. So Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Canadian, American, doesn't matter. Male, female, doesn't matter. Young, old, doesn't matter. We have been made one in Christ. We are citizens together of the family. Of the family. 
One writer has summed up church membership this way. Being a church member is a vocation. It's a way of life. It means participation in an intricate web of hospitality, living at the intersection of human need and God's grace. It means inhabiting a community where men and women who don't fit are welcome, where neglected children are noticed, where the stories of Jesus are told, and where people who have no stories find that, in fact, they do have stories, and those stories are part of the Jesus story. Being a church member places us strategically at a heavily trafficked intersection between heaven and earth. What a privilege to camp out together there. Question this morning for each and every one of us to look in the mirror and ask, am I in Christ? If I'm not in Christ, then I am separated from all those who are. There's a barrier between me and all those who are are in Christ. Different worlds. But worse, I am separated from God. I'm apart from Him. Standing before Him in my own merits, not measuring up at all, facing judgment. And that's the good news of the Gospel, that even while we were in that mess, God sent His Son for us to rescue us. It's not about earning our way, it's about embracing the Savior who came to rescue us and bring us home into the family. If you're not in Christ, I urge you, I urge you, you need to surrender to Him. He's your only hope and your only help. He's the only way to be right with God and be called one of God's children. If you are one of God's children this morning, then I ask you, what do you see when you look at other followers of Jesus? Have you embraced your duty to live in harmony with your brothers and sisters as you love them, in walking in unity with them, with a spirit of gratitude that we're no longer far off, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ together? So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone the foundation of it all, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's thank him. Let's praise him for this together as we remember at his table what he has done for us And let's sing his praises as we do. Amen? Let's stand together.